Hello, my name is Mikhail, and I welcome you to this space dedicated to helping us live the way of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me. This week in the way of Jesus, we are doing what is right. When will the daughters of Zion rejoice? When will the daughters of Zion rejoice? How long, how long, when will the truth come out? When will your justice roll down? How long? How long, how long, when will your kingdom come? And evil be undone. How long? At 8th Street Church, we are in the beginning of a teaching series on women and the movement of God, highlighting five women we don't usually hear a lot about. In Matthew chapter 1, the gospel writer gives a genealogy of Jesus that traces all the way back through Jewish history. He includes some very well known names, along with names that never made it into any other part of our scripture. But in this centuries-long list of men, Matthew does a curious thing. He names five women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Jesus' mother, Mary. Women's names were never included in Jewish genealogies, so immediately we know that their inclusion signals something important. But for many of us who are so far removed from the details of Jewish history, Matthew's meaning can be lost on us. So over the next five weeks, we are going to be telling the stories of these five women and what they have to teach us about this way of Jesus. And just to give fair warning, these are not the kinds of stories you find in fairy tales or moralistic fables. They are the stories of survivors, outsiders, refugees, and the abused. But they are also stories of brilliant courage, hope, faithfulness, perseverance, and redemption. So we begin this week with the story of Tamar found in Genesis chapter 38, and I'll read verses 13 through 19 and then verses 24 through 27 in the New Living Translation. When Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? She asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. 
After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. And about three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. When will the daughters of Zion rejoice? When will the daughters of Zion rejoice? How long, how long when will the wicked kneel and the abused be healed? How long? How long, how long when will our sisters speak? With no more shame or fear, how long? Now, admittedly, this is a very strange story. And it's even more strange for those of us who are not familiar with the ancient Near East practice known as the Leverite Obligation. I won't get into all the details here, there's a lot to explain, but if you weren't with us on Sunday to hear me preach on this, it might be helpful to watch the service on YouTube. You can find a link to that in our show notes. But for now, here's what you need to know. As the head of the household, it was Judah's responsibility to care for Tamar after his son, who was her husband, had died. He had promised her that he would see that she married his youngest son. But lots of time had passed, and Shelah grew up, but he didn't do what he had promised. Judah knew what should have been done, and while he had all the power to do it, he did nothing. Tamar, on the other hand, also knew what should have been done, but had almost no power to speak of. And yet, she used all that she had, the available resources of her own body, to do what needed to be done, to do what was right. At the end of the story, Judah acknowledges this disparity when he says that Tamar acted more righteous than he did. It might sound odd that dressing up like a prostitute to trick your father-in-law to sleep with you so that you can conceive would be regarded as righteous. But in the Hebrew understanding of the word, righteousness was closely related to justice. Justice is what is right in any given situation. And righteousness is enacting justice, doing that right thing. So Tamar was righteous because she used whatever means she had available to bring about 
justice to do what needed to be done. It's safe to assume that Tamar knew very little or maybe nothing of Judah's family and the promise to Abraham. And yet she is the one who dedicated herself to continuing this family because her own well-being and future was wrapped up into it. And in this, Tamar reveals to us another truth about the way of Jesus. Because doing what is right is not just about practicing altruism. It's not a pie-in-the-sky piety that is only concerned with appearances. Doing what is right, the righteousness of justice in action, is just as much about our own well-being as it is about the well-being of others. Because we are all better off when the right thing is done. Even Judah, the one who was tricked into doing what he wouldn't do on his own, ended up receiving the gift of sons, but also the gift of transformation, new life, and redemption in his own story. So this week, we are taking Tamar's example of using whatever means is available to us to do what is right. Can you think of a situation in which the right thing is not being done, or it maybe is just being avoided? Maybe there's a coworker of yours who is not receiving the credit that is due her, or an elderly neighbor who's being taken advantage of. Perhaps there's a person you know you need to apologize to, but you've been dragging your feet. Or maybe there is an injustice that you're aware of in your local or state government, but you've been hesitant to call your elected officials about it. Take a minute now and consider what situation like this presents itself to you. And now, ask the Holy Spirit to help you see where you are being invited to do what is right in that situation with the resources you have available to you. Sometimes, Doing what is right with the resources we have feels rather insignificant compared to what really needs to be done. You may not have any power to give your coworker a raise, but you can tell her that you notice the hard work she is doing and that you know the company is doing better because of her. While it may not be everything that needs to be done, often the act of seeing and naming 
is a great gift. So if something came to your mind just now and it feels too small, don't ignore it. But conversely, if something came to your mind just now and it feels way too big and way too risky, don't ignore that either. Because the way of Jesus very often, and I might even say always, leads us into some kind of risky obedience or other. If this feels frightening to you, know that you are not alone. Invite Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has blessed all of us with his own risky obedience to give you the courage you need to do what is right this week. In my own life, I have come to expect that that terrifying feeling of risky obedience is also soon followed by tremendous joy that comes from experiencing God's presence and God's activity when I do that thing, when I do what is right. I trust and I pray that it will also be the same for you this week. My friends, may you know the grace and peace of our God this week as you live this way of Jesus. How long? How long?